Good morning, EPC Church family. Thank you so much for joining us for Church Online this morning. I have a few announcements for you just to remind you there are multiple ways to connect with us throughout your weeks. We have three Facebook pages that you can choose to connect with. The first is our main page, Evangel Pentecostal Church. We also have EPC Children's Ministry and EPC Student Ministry. And if you prefer to use Instagram, we have Instagram as well at EPC Oakville. You can connect with those pages for all our up-to-date information. Also throughout your weeks, don't forget to send us your prayer requests so that we can lift up your needs as a staff and as a team throughout the weeks, but also for our corporate prayer times every Sunday at 11 a.m. that we can pray for you as part of the church family. That's all I have for you for now. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and the rest of your week ahead. Good morning, Evangel. Let's worship together. on my lips from the moment that I rise to the one who rescued me and brought me life praise awaits you at the dawn praise awaits you in the night with the heavens I will sing Lift you high. Glory be to God, the Father. Glory be to God, the Son. Glory be to God, the Spirit. All glory to the One. Glory to the Lord, Almighty. Glory to the King, Most High. Glory be to God forever, all glory to the one. There's a song, there's a song that's on my that I rise to the one who rescued me and brought me life. Praise awaits you at the dawn. Praise awaits you in the night. With the heavens I will sing and lift you high. Glory be Son, glory be to God, the Spirit, oh glory to the One, glory to the Lord, Almighty, glory to the King, Most High, glory be to God, forever, oh glory to the One, as it was in Ever shall be. Amen. Amen as it was and is and ever shall be. Amen. 
Amen as it was and is and ever shall be. Amen. Amen as it was and is and ever shall be. Amen. Glory be to God. Oh, glory be to God. Oh, glory be, oh, glory be to God. The Father, glory be to God. The Son, glory be to God. scripture today is from Matthew 5 39 to 42 but I tell you do not resist an evil person if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn them the other cheek also if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt hand over your coat as well if anyone forces you to go one mile go with them two miles give to anyone who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from Hello everyone. Today we'll be continuing our summer preaching series entitled Uncomfortable. We are considering scriptures where Jesus made those around him feel uncomfortable by the things that he said and the things that he did. As we continue our series today, we will see that while Jesus often confronted the religious practices and teachings of the Pharisees and religious leaders in order to protect the vulnerable, he often had moments alone with his followers teaching them about the kingdom of God. Specifically, the proper attitudes, the proper actions, the proper responses that they should follow and model as his followers in the kingdom of God. Our scripture today comes from what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 to chapter 7. Jesus was gaining popularity. As a result, great crowds were following him. He desired to get alone with his disciples, so he took them up to the hill country, sat down, and began to teach them. Many years ago, when our children were young, we owned a hardtop camper, and we would spend our vacation time in the summer camping. Our favorite destination was Terranova National Park, just a couple hours outside of our home of St. John's, Newfoundland. Our children love the newfound freedom of getting up in the morning and going off with friends discovering new adventures. Life in the city was very different than life for them when they were camping. I remember one day hearing what was clearly the sound of conflict coming from the playground, and I peeked through the woods to see and hear what was happening. The boys were making life miserable for the girls, and the girls were very upset with whatever it was that the boys were doing. It was then that I heard the voice of my oldest daughter. If you don't stop, I'm gonna go and get my dad 
And trust me, you won't want to deal with him. I fear I have somewhat of a reputation when it comes to my kids. Often when we experience conflict or pain initiated unfairly by others, our immediate response is to retaliate by inflicting pain back on them. Jesus is teaching his disciples in our passage today that retaliation is never an appropriate response to the conflict and pain inflicted by others. As we look at this message today, here's what I hope we will see. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be humble as he is humble, giving our lives to the cause of elevating and embracing the value of others, to speak for those who have no voice, and to use our position of privilege to elevate those who have no privilege. To truly understand that this teaching was unusual and uncomfortable, it's important for us to understand the culture at the time and how Jesus' teaching was countercultural. So let's start with culture. There are three aspects of culture that I would like to consider today. The first, scriptural culture. The foundation of Judaism was the Old Testament law and prophets. The scriptures outlined their spiritual birth as a nation, the expectations of God and how they were to live out their lives as a nation, not just for their own benefit, but for the benefit of the nations around them. It outlined what being in a covenant with God would look like in everyday life in terms of temple worship. It contained the prophetic writings about the future of their nation and an understanding of who God was. The religious leadership worked very hard through some very trying times to ensure that the scriptures and the practices of their faith were preserved for the next generation. Secondly, we have societal culture. During the time of the Gospels and Jesus' life upon the earth, Israel came under the rule of the Roman Empire. Under Roman rule, Jews were allowed to continue to practice their ancient religion. But there was a problem. Judaism was a religion that shaped the entire culture. It was not just a behind-closed-doors faith. It was meant to permeate every aspect of society. So while they were permitted to continue to practice their rituals, they often found themselves in conflict with the values and practices of the Roman Empire that were, was dominating society as a whole. Ultimately, their freedom of worship was threatened, their dignity was taken away, and they were left as a people with little honor, struggling under the oppression of a foreign domination. For this reason, most Jews resented the Romans, resented the opposition and oppression of the Romans. Some even joined groups in an attempt to overthrow them. Others silently went about living their lives, resenting everything that the Roman domination had taken away from them. Thirdly, spiritual culture. You might ask, isn't scriptural culture and spiritual culture the same thing? Well, the answer I believe is no. Scriptural culture is created by allowing the principles of God's word to shape culture, families, individuals. Spiritual culture is creating additional supports to protect scripture, spiritual culture against the perceived evil that would want to dilute or destroy it. We have seen repeatedly in this series that the Pharisees focused on spiritual culture in an attempt to protect their scriptural culture, most often with failed results. Jesus began with a practical example that they could all relate to the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, scriptural principle that had been twisted. Jesus said, you have heard it said, 
He's speaking to a Jewish audience who've been taught the law from a very young age. They're familiar with what he is referring to from both the law and this current practice. Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19, all state the same principle of response when wrong had been done. In each of these laws, the standard of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was established. Now, if we read these verses at face value, we will most likely misunderstand God's intention. At face value, Scripture seems to be making retaliation possible and encouraged. But a closer look, a deeper investigation, will show that the opposite is actually true. In Leviticus 19.18, it states, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. At first glance, this is confusing. It appears that conflicting ideas are being presented. The purpose of the law was to provide the nation's judicial system with a formula of penalty when wrong had been done. The primary judicial officials were the priests and the elders. They needed a standard to judge by. The formula for judgment would ensure that people were punished fairly and with proper penalty. The principle of the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth law, would ensure that the penalty for crime would never exceed the extent of the crime. It was intended to protect people from the common practice of paying too much beyond what was fair. God established this law to stop people from exacting a penalty higher than the crime. Now there's a problem. At the time of Jesus, when Israel was under Roman domination, the religious leaders took a law that was designed to limit retaliation and misused it as a response to societal culture. In essence, what you have is this. You have the religious leadership creating a spiritual culture that justified retaliation to its oppressors, and they did that by twisting the scriptural culture that God had established to protect the vulnerable in order to justify resisting the oppression of societal culture. Now, I know that was a mouthful, so simply stated, this is what's happening. The religious people twisted scripture to justify an improper response. They twisted scripture to justify an improper response. A law that was meant to limit retaliation was being promoted to justify retaliation. Secondly, let's consider counterculture. What Jesus is teaching here does not go against God's law, but is in fact drawing the principle of the law back into focus. He said, you have heard it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. This statement can be easily misunderstood at face value. And so it's critically important that we understand this statement because it sets up the things that follow that Jesus says to them. What Jesus is literally saying here is this, do not retaliate against those who have brought pain to you. It is never appropriate to respond to pain and conflict by returning pain and conflict. Jesus then gave some specific examples that they could readily identify with to help them understand the principle of God's law. First was in terms of insults. Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and give them the other cheek as well. Jesus intentionally referred to the right cheek for a reason. For the right hand to hit the right cheek, it would need to be a backhanded slap. The culture at this time was an honor culture. To hit someone with the back 
hand slap was considered a serious breach of respect and attack to one's honor. It was considered a serious and grievous insult. In fact, under both Jewish and Roman law, prosecution for such an offense was permissible. Jesus is not saying that his followers should expose themselves to abuse, attack, and harm. What he's saying is this. When people treat you with disrespect, you have a right to retaliate. However, he's asking his followers not to. Instead, he is asking them to take the insult and choose not to strike back. The second thing he talks about is comfort. Jesus said, if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Now the tunic was the inner garment, the cloak being the outer garment. When a debt was owing, a person's clothing could be used as collateral for the debt, literally taking the shirt off of someone's back. In Exodus 22, verse 25, God's law stated that if a cloak was taken as collateral for a debt, it had to be returned by sunset because the cloak was the only covering a person had when sleeping. It was unheard of to suggest giving someone your cloak, especially someone who had already taken your tunic. Jesus is using this exaggerated statement to make a point. You have a right to respond when someone makes you feel uncomfortable. However, he is asking his followers not to, to accept the discomfort and not strike back. Thirdly, Jesus addresses inconvenience. Jesus said, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus' audience understood what he was saying here, even though we most likely do not. As was stated earlier, Israel was under Roman domination during Jesus' lifetime. Roman soldiers had a practice. They would force civilians to carry the luggage of military personnel a prescribed distance of 1,000 paces. In the Latin, 1,000 is mil, M-I-L-L-E, where we get our word mile from. This is where the phrase a Roman mile comes from, a thousand paces. We see an example of this during the crucifixion of Jesus when Roman soldiers uh, forced Simon from Cyrene to actually carry Jesus' cross. Everyday citizens were outraged by this practice. It was an invasion into their lives and into their plans, uh, taking up their time. These demands were bringing considerable inconvenience into their lives, not to mention the humiliation. If they were walking along, in a moment they could be conscripted to carry a heavy load. This only added to the resentment and hatred they felt towards the Romans. Jesus was saying to his followers, you have a right to be frustrated when a stranger forces inconvenience on your life, but I'm asking you to be helpful. Go the extra mile, make a sacrifice as a sign of humility to stand out as being different than the world. Fourthly, Jesus addresses resources. Most of the people who followed Jesus were poor. They were born poor, they lived poor, they died poor. There was little opportunity to move between classes in Jesus' day. Sons learned their father's professions, staying poor. Daughters married into families of equal financial standing because of the limitations of dowries. And the result is the cycle of poverty continued. When things happened unexpectedly to these poor people, they did not have the resources to overcome, and so they had to go and beg or borrow to meet their debts. 
It was one thing to give or lend money to your immediate family, but giving and lending money to non-family was unheard of. The exception to this was the rich who would lend to the poor and then take their land and their children as slaves if necessary. Jesus is saying this, you're not obligated to help those who are not your family. However, in the kingdom of God, all of his followers are family and should be treated as such. So if you have, you should give to those who do not have and help those who are in need. Now, as we can see, Jesus' teaching in each of these areas is countercultural and very uncomfortable for those who are hearing these expectations. In terms of application this morning, there are three observations that I'd like to draw from our scripture. The first is fairness. We tend to be very focused on fairness. Fairness is often defined in terms of equal measure in comparison. If you have two children, you would never give one an ice cream and not the other because that's not fair. When Christmas time comes and someone gives you a gift, you try to give them a gift of equal value. If you're in a group project at school or at work, you'll often find that there are those who do not carry their weight and you think that's just not fair. Everyone should be doing equal work. Jesus not only teaches us not to be obsessed with fairness, but he then demonstrates for us an extreme example. You see, he is the perfect son of God, sinless. Yet he willingly died a cruel death to pay for our sins. Now this doesn't make sense, and it's certainly not fair. He didn't deserve it, but he endured it anyway. Fairness in the kingdom of God is not about getting what we deserve. It's about getting abundantly more than we could ever deserve, and that's called grace, while at the same time, it's also about not getting what we deserve, which is called mercy. So when we are disrespected, we have a right to retaliate, but we choose not to, because when Jesus was disrespected, he did not retaliate. When we are made to feel uncomfortable, we accept the discomfort because Jesus accepted the discomfort. When demands are made of us that are inconvenient to us, we have a right to resist, but we embrace the inconvenience because Jesus embraced the inconvenience. When our resources are demanded of us, we give generously because Jesus gave generously. These are the things that set followers of Jesus apart from a culture that is consumed with fairness, the willingness to endure the uncomfortable things. Secondly, twisting. Fear is a very powerful emotion. It is also a very conflicting emotion. On one hand, it threatens us with harm. And then on the other hand, it serves an important role in protecting us from harm by causing us to take the necessary measures to stay safe. Spiritual fear is a very powerful reality, especially when we perceive that the truths and principles that we hold dear are in danger of being destroyed. The Pharisees and religious leaders experienced high levels of spiritual fear. They had witnessed throughout their history the tearing apart of their nation, the destruction of their religious structures, the desecration of their sacred worship by pagan outsiders. Much of their creation and enforcement of legalism was birthed out of fear. And ironically, in their attempt to protect their spirituality from the devastation of outside influence, they ended up destroying spirituality from within. 
When you twist scripture to support your spiritual priorities, you often end up with a spirituality that does not resemble at all what God intended. I believe that there are times when we as individuals and as the church react to threats to our spiritual priorities by creating environments to protect what we believe is God's priority. And in the end, like the Pharisees, we end up causing more harm than good. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Our priority when it comes to scripture is to approach it with a sincere desire to let it speak to us as God intended and then allow our lives to be shaped by it. Now, although this may sound simple, it's often not the approach taken at all. Often people have already decided what it is they believe and they search the scriptures to find support for what they already believe and are not open to the scriptures changing their perspectives at all. Twisting scripture to fit us rather than letting scripture shape us is dangerous. I have heard people quote from scripture to justify racism. When they do that, they are twisting God's word to justify their own sinful attitudes and actions. I've heard people quote from scripture to justify discrimination based on gender, based on sexual orientation, based on race. And when they do that, they are twisting God's word to justify their own sinful attitudes and actions. I've heard people quote from scripture to justify materialism as a sign of God's blessing in their lives. When they do that, they're twisting God's word to justify their own sinful attitudes and actions. It is never our responsibility to shape scripture. Scripture is intended to shape us. Thirdly, rights. I will admit to you today that sometimes when it comes to rights, Jesus appears to be sending conflicting messages. On the one hand, he's saying, absorb the insults, forsake personal comfort, embrace inconvenience, give your resources away. The idea of surrendering rights and humbly following the example that he modeled. On the other hand, his whole ministry was focused on elevating the downcast, standing up for the underdog, defending those who are spiritually attacked, embracing the marginalized. So are rights important or are they not important? I would suggest the answer to this question is yes. Yes. What Jesus seems to be teaching us is this. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be humble as he is humble, giving our lives to the cause of elevating and embracing the value of others, to speak for those who have no voice and to use our position of privilege to elevate those who have no privilege. I believe we are called to walk this delicate balance of humility in our own lives in terms of our own perceived rights and expectations, while at the same time focusing on the inequities and marginalization of those who have been forsaken, forgotten, and rejected. It is not either or, it is both. In conclusion today, fairness in the kingdom of God is not about getting what we deserve. It's about getting abundantly more than we could ever deserve, which is called grace. While at the same time, it's also about not getting what we deserve, which is called mercy. 
Our priority when it comes to scripture is to approach it with a sincere desire to let it speak to us as God intended and then to allow our lives to be shaped by it. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be humble as he is humble, giving our lives to the cause of elevating and embracing the value of others, to speak for those who have no voice and to use our position of privilege for those who have no privilege. Oh God, how I need 